Well, good morning. Uh, if I haven't said hello to you yet, my name is Slim. I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic. Uh, and one way to get to know me, if I don't know you yet, uh, is to know my kids. I think sometimes you can, you can know someone by knowing their kids because for better or worse, as you, uh, as you parent your children, they start taking on things like you. Um, for better or worse. And so there's sometimes your kids emulate you and you're like, hmm, that's pretty cool. I, I love that. <laughs> Thank you for taking that on. And there's other times you're like, please don't do that. <laughs> don't beat me. <laughs> um, my, my youngest son, Jordan, uh, he's, he's in kids' church now. Um, I got his permission to talk about it. He's excited he, he, <laughs> that he gets to be talked about. Uh, but my youngest son, Jordan, loves, loves games of all types, specifically for him, board games. And more specifically for him, he likes Monopoly. More specific, he likes Monopoly with 30 minutes to go till bedtime. Uh, <laughs> Every time it's, hey, Dad, can we play Monopoly? And it's like, we're going to bed in 30 minutes. Can we do Uno? No, I want to play Monopoly. Uh, so he wants to play Monopoly, whether it's 30 minutes till bedtime or 30 minutes till we have to leave somewhere. It's always Monopoly. Um, another game that he and I love um, is this game A to Z. I, I think I found this out in youth ministry days. I don't know if, does anyone know A to Z? Um, this is a game you, I'm teaching you all now. You can play on the way home uh, from Mosaic. It's a game you play in the car, and it's a game when you're driving down the road. If you see a sign that says aware, you go A, aware. And you're like, oh, B, Baylor. And you get all the way down to Z. The first one to Z wins. He and I, we play this game every single day. Because every single day, well, we're usually driving, but every single day I'm driving him from home to his school at Rappaport Elementary, and we play that game. And, and early on, it took us till we got to Rappaport to finish. We finished maybe halfway through because we know where all the signs are. We're like, oh, there's an A there, and there's a B there, and there's an X there. Like, we, we know where it, it's all at. Uh, and he's now, the student has surpassed the master. And so not only has he taken on my love for games, which I love, um, he's now taken on um, not so pleasant things of my personality. And he starts bragging uh, every time he beats me. And he's, he's like, oh, you just got toasted, dad. <laughs> and he just, he just gives it to me. Uh, and so he loves, he loves games. He loves to brag. And even even in the game of checkers. Does anyone love the game of checkers? Checkers is kind of like the classic, uh, very first game most people learn. Um, and in, in the game of checkers, you know there is a point at which everything is over. There's a point at which when you come to this point, it's game over. And that's when you go from one side of the board and you make all of your moves, you jump all of the other dudes and you get to the other side of the board. And if you have that competitive nature like me and you're over-the-top bragging at that point, you don't just say this, you say it loudly. You say what? You say, king me, king me, king me, put it on there, <laughs> right? You go over the top with this. And, you know, I think some of us live life like this. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've waited until we've gotten to a spot in life we, we, we wait until we've gotten that position 
that, that authority, uh, that, that power when we think we've arrived and we're like, now I'm going to make waves. King me. And so today we're going to talk about being a king. Uh, today we're going to talk about three ways. We're going to talk about the character of the king, the quality of the kingdom, and the call from the king. So the character, the quality, and the call. All right, so the character of the king. Uh, let me begin by giving you a phrase uh, I want you to think about throughout this sermon, and it's the quality of the kingdom is set by the character of the king. So the quality of the kingdom is set by the character of the king. Now, for some context, many of us might be wondering, especially if this is your first time, like, where are we? Uh, we're in this book of Isaiah. It seems like you guys have been in for a decade or so. Where are we? And it feels like when you read the book of Isaiah, it almost feels like you're reading a Where's Waldo book. And so like every single day, every single time you turn the page, you're like, I don't know, where is Isaiah at? And so it feels right almost every sermon to kind of give a where, where is Isaiah? And so Isaiah is a prophet. He, he's taken on the, the role. He's, he's like the mouthpiece of God, giving God's words to the people. Who are the people? It's the people of Judah, but specifically, it's typically to the kings, and he's giving it to the, those in authority and power. And so he's giving the, the word of God to these kings of Judah. And when is that? That's, that's, this is where we're at today. This is before God's people are taken off into exile and into slavery. And so last week, if you were here last week, you heard Malcolm talk about this, that there was this, this coming invasion of this nation of Assyria. And, and the people of Judah, the king of Judah, is just freaking out, right? The king of Judah is freaking out that Assyria is on their doorsteps. And so then the king then goes to look for help in Egypt, the people who oppressed them for hundreds of years, right? Um, and so he, the king of Judah says, all right, I've got, two, I've got two things I can do because of Assyria. Plan A is let's go look to Egypt for help. And God says, don't trust in Egypt. Why would you trust in Egypt? Um, you trust in me. And the king of Judah says, that doesn't seem like a great plan. Um, and so he goes, all right, plan A is not working. Let's go to plan B. And plan B for the king of Judah is let's, let's try to buy off Assyria. Let's see if we can appease Assyria. And so what the king does is he strips all the gold and all the silver from the doors of the temple of God. And then he gets all of the gold of all the people and all their savings. He snatches their gold chains and credit cards and iPads. He robs his own people and gives it to the king of Assyria and the king of Assyria, well, we find out in chapter 33, it says that they had this agreement. Then the king of Assyria betrays that agreement. It's, it talks about in chapter 33 that the treaty is broken. And so then the king of Assyria takes their tribute and says, thanks. Thanks for doing all the legwork. But now we're going to take it all. So you've given me everything, which I, I wanted, but I also want it all. I don't want just part of you. I want all of you. And so the king is still coming. Plan A doesn't work. Plan B is not coming, going, going great. And, and what we realize there is the quality of the kingdom is set by the character of the king. And the quality of this kingdom has now been stripped. It's been stripped of some of its power, but some of its prestige here. The kingdom is in jeopardy because it's being led by a cowardly and fearful king. And contrast that 
There's kind of a two contrast of these two types of kings, the king of Judah and this other king that Isaiah seems to be talking about. And it begins in chapter 32, verse 1. It says, See, a king will reign in righteousness, and rulers will rule with justice. Righteousness and justice. There's another king who's coming, whose character, who's going to be marked by righteousness. Now, when you hear the word righteous, I have a feeling there's like a gag reflex. I think probably the last time you've used that word has been kind of a, a way to slander someone. Like, man, they are so self-righteous, right? When we think of righteous, usually it's in that phrase. We don't usually use, use that too much in our vocabulary. We talk about someone being self-righteous or or holier than thou and sanctimonious and smug and you're like ah that's the type of person who thinks that god looks down on them and is like whoo i made a good one (laughs) sure glad they're on my team right that's usually what we think of when we think of someone who is self-righteous and if that's where you're at i want you to know the bible agrees with you right? The Bible agrees with you. Uh, for Romans 3.10 says, no one is righteous, not even one, okay? So the Bible's agree with you on that self-righteousness angle. However, there's a different type of righteousness that the Bible talks about. There is it's actually a positive view of righteousness. Uh, righteousness is one of two towers described as part of the king's character, one who reigns in righteousness and rules with justice. Psalm 89 says the same thing. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. There's those two words again. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And so what is righteousness? Here's a, here's a definition. Righteousness is the standard of right and wrong established by God. What is righteousness? Righteousness is the standard of right and wrong established by God. Another way of saying that, is righteousness is rightness. Righteousness is rightness, right? And so, um, take it for example, it, it, it's knowing what to do uh, in any given situation. Uh, it's, knowing, it's doing the right thing. And so, let's say maybe today it happened, you saw someone um, put their wallet in their pocket and maybe they dropped a $20 bill. The right thing to do is to tell them of their error, to help them see what they're missing, right? The easy thing to do is to just take it for yourself, right? Uh, another way of saying that is um, if, if you were around some people, maybe a, a, out at lunch, and you overheard uh, a very heated conversation going on, and one person is saying some unkind and hurtful things to the next person, maybe they're, they're demeaning um, and, and berating this person, the, the right thing to do, at the very least, is to say, hey, are you okay to that person? Like, is everything okay in this situation? Um, the, you could go a step further. If someone is doing something as ugly as that and then making it, you're like, this is not okay, you could step in and say, hey, you can keep saying those things, but you're going to have to say them to me, right? That, that would be the right thing to do. The easy thing to do is to just kind of see yourself out of the situation, And so I think righteousness is not this small thing. It's doing what is right, even when it's not easy. Even when it's actually hard and and, and uncomfortable. And what we are told here is that this is how we describe the king that's to come. There's this king who will reign in 32, says, will rule in righteousness. 
And, and what does that do to the community? What is, how does that affect the community? Verse 2 tells us this. Each one, each of these rulers, each of these leaders, will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. And so the quality of the kingdom is this. It's a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm. It's a stream of water. That's the quality of the kingdom. That's what it's going to look like. That's like, it's just so beautiful to think about. Like, the quality of the kingdom is set by the character of the king. A king that reigns in righteousness produces this type of environment. There are shelters and refuges. Like, do you know people like this? Who is a shelter to you, a refuge to you? I think the temptation is, since this is written, and it's, it sounds like it, it's about a king, we might go, okay, so in our world, let's say this is about how this affects the president. And yes, those in, in leadership, it, it, the quality of the kingdom is set by the character of the king. But I think it's, we miss it if we only say this is about those in those high positions of authority. I think this can be applied to anyone in any position of leadership, whether that's in, a, in, your, in your work environment, that's in your church, that's in just even in your friend group. That you can see that the quality of the kingdom is set by the character of the king, that the, the, the person in that, in that leadership colors the rest of the environment. And so sometimes, sometimes you might find yourself in a toxic environment, and you realize that that's revealing a, about the quality of, of uh, the character of the king. And I think where everything feels off in this passage, it kind of gives you a picture of how bad things are. Verse 5 says, No longer will the fool be called noble, nor the scoundrel be respected. And so you can see verse 5 kind of shows us how society has just disintegrated, where the norms have collapsed and fools and villains are now respected and regarded as honorable, while they're robbing from the poor, is what it goes on to say. Like, does it feel like we live in a society like this? Does it feel like we live in a world like this? Like this is describing our world where you're rewarded for being more profane. That like you're, you're, you don't make a dent in this world unless you become disgustingly extreme. Doesn't that feel like that? I think the temptation when we find ourselves in that situation is one of two things. I think the first response to a problem like this the problem you see the problem and the, the temptation is to fretfully fix or to fearfully ignore and what the leaders did at first were trying to fretfully fix they try to run to egypt to, and then they try to strip their 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 uh, temple of gold and so they're fretfully running around trying to fix the issue and that's one negative response to seeing a problem the second response is to fearfully ignore and just ignore the issue ignore the problem and just escape from it and just kind of do the na 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 i don't want to hear it right and i think that's what is happening with some of the society uh, verse 11 says tremble you complacent women shudder you daughters who feel secure now you might wonder why is Isaiah specifically calling out the women? Does he have something against the women here? And I would just say, no. Uh, context, context, context. Uh, I think that's always helpful. Later, he calls out the men specifically. He calls out the prophets and the seers. Isaiah is speaking to this specific group as a representative of the whole. 
Um, and so there's kind of two, two ways of, of responding to Assyria. You have big bad Assyria knocking on the door. Kings are stressing out. Lead, the, the, those in leadership are stressing out, seeking help from Egypt, stripping their own temples, while others are lounging big boss style, <laughs> ignoring, that's ah, not a problem for us. That, that'll never hit us. And God says in verse 10, in little more than a year, you who feel secure will tremble. The grape harvest will fail, and the harvest of fruit will not come. And so you felt secure, you felt safe, you know, living the life, living what we might think is, when we say king me, like, oh, I got it all now. Living it up, that's the way it should feel. But soon, the wine is going to run out. Soon, the food is going to come up dry. And so God is trying to tell them at this time, your response is to start mourning, is to start repenting. And for how long? For months? For years? Till when? Verse 15 says, Till the Spirit is poured on us from on high. Until the Holy Spirit pours himself out from on a high. And what this is picturing is a, is a, is a little mini revival that's going to happen. That when God's spirit is poured out, there is, this, there is this change, there is this repentance. You may have heard that term revival used over the last couple of weeks or months, uh, that there's little mini revivals happening around in our country. Uh, and maybe so, I hope so, but typically with a revival, you have repentance at the heart of it. That it's not just a long worship service, praise the Lord for those, but there is a revival in a sense, there, there's a change of action and repentance is, is, is looking away from that which you were, you were trusting in and now looking towards the true Savior. It's turning away from the sin and turning to the God, our Savior. And so I think this is what we see is actually happens in revivals. And I would say the civil rights movement in America was maybe a little mini revival when the country actually looked at itself and, and, and turned from some of their, our sins and turned to the Lord. And what happens when God pours out his spirit is people can't help but turn. People can't help but respond because the spirit poured out on us makes us consider things, makes us listen to the Lord. And so the quality of the kingdom is a spirit-filled community marked by repentance and listening to the Lord. And so I just say this, like when you stop speaking for long enough, it allows you to listen. When you stop, when you stop talking, as I, you might say to some people in your midst, to children or whatnot, <laughs> now you can listen. Now you can hear. And what are you going to hear when you, when you stop and listen to the Lord and listen for his spirit to come out? It's the call from the king. And the call from the king is verse 10. And God says, now I will arise, says the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I be lifted up. And you might wonder, why now? Why did God now answer their prayers? And some of you guys might be asking that question about your own prayers. Why didn't you answer my prayer yet? Why now? Well, for the people of Judah here, had God answered their prayer sooner, they might have thought it was because from their political ingenuity and wheeling and dealing. 
But God answers their prayers when Assyria is on their doorstep so that they know that it wasn't from any backdoor dealings that they did that God is saving them. It's totally and wholly only God. And I think some of you guys have stories like that where you say, only God. Only God could have done that. I can't trust in anything that I did to make that happen. It was only God, 100%. He saved me. He delivered me. Only God. That's the call of the king. The call of the king is a, is a call of salvation. It's, it's a proclamation of deliverance, that you've been saved. It makes me think of the, the, the great Easter hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns. Do you know this? Crown him with many crowns. And it goes on, it says, Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Oh, I love these lines. To crown him with many crowns that my soul would finally wake up to that and sing of him who died for us. And hail him as the matchless, there's no other king but him, the matchless king through all eternity. And so what we want to say is, let's crown him, not me. King, not me, king thee. Let's king, king Jesus, exalt Jesus. And our faith teaches us that Jesus came to this earth, he, he lived the life that we should have lived, and he died in our place, he rose from the grave, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, where he does what? Where he rules and reigns with a scepter of righteousness. That's where our king is at. Jesus has delivered you and saved you from our mortal enemy. He's done it. It is good news. It is a proclamation. And I want us to say amen, but I also want us to say, it, I don't want to just talk about what Jesus has saved us from. I want us to talk about what Jesus has saved us to. What has he saved you to? The way we say it here at Mosaic is, our mission is to adore Christ, to apply the gospel, and act with mercy and justice. Like, that, that, that's what we think is a good response to this proclamation. To adore Christ, to crown him, to apply the good news, which means to knead that gospel into all the areas of my life, to reveal the blind spots that I didn't know I had, to become just a little bit less hypocritical every single day, because I know I am, and we do that in our small groups. We do that in many other areas. And then our goal, our, the end of this, is to act with mercy and justice. I mean, the king that Isaiah prophesied about isn't going to let injustice and oppression continue. Chapter 33, 1 says, Woe to you, destroyer. He's talking about Assyria. When you stop destroying, you will be destroyed. When you stop betraying, you will be betrayed. And because of that king's character, that king cannot sit idly by and watch this go on forever. 33.5 says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. There's those two words again. Justice and righteousness. The justice and righteousness of our king is his, is his reign. It's his rule. Like, because he's righteous... Justice comes out. Righteousness precedes justice. Knowing right from wrong, knowing good from evil precedes the justice that happens. Justice will follow. And so as we adore Christ, as we apply the gospel, the end goal is to act with mercy and justice. And when you know what is right, right from wrong, 
then you can act with mercy and justice. And I want to say, let's talk about this both personally and socially. And I think we have to do a really good job of making sure we don't put a wedge between those two. So many times in so many circles, we put wedges between these two. We say, yes, let's talk about this only personally or only socially. And I think both have to be said. That justice calls us to simultaneously look in the mirror and in the streets. That justice calls us to simultaneously look personally, but also communally, socially. I mean, I think it's wild that there are people who hold the views of total depravity and they can't confess sins corporately. It doesn't make sense that, that, that doesn't, it doesn't add up. But likewise, I think it's crazy, those who can call corporations and, count, and countries to repent won't repent themselves. Like, we have to look at both. It's personal and social. And when we do, Jesus tells us this promised fulfillment in, in Matthew 5, 6. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. For they will be filled. Do we long for righteousness? That word that they will be filled is, it's a graphic term to stuff an animal. And so do you long for righteousness? God says, I will fill you with the same amount of filling after Thanksgiving. And you will be stuffed. You had the third plate and dessert. You'll be like, oh, I need a nap. That, this is the righteousness that we are longing for. And God says, I will fill you because of that. And when you feast on righteousness, on what's true, right, and noble, then all other unrighteousness grieves you. All other unrighteousness looks more disgusting to us. Have you ever changed your diet in such a way that the things that you used to love begin to lose their appeal? Have you ever started eating healthier and healthier and healthier to where the things that you once craved make you sick? I know this is a stretch coming from me, uh, <laughs> but currently, spinach is not bad. I'm learning to like it more. It's progress, okay? <laughs> and some other things on, on my list have looked less appetizing, right? That's kind of what happens when we feast on the righteousness of God. We start enjoying those things more and more, and the things that you used to feast on become less and less appetizing and say, I don't really want any more of that. And it doesn't happen just in one area of life. It starts bleeding over to all these other areas. Like, the sad news is that in our city, there is so much unrighteousness for us to look into. The sad news is that because of years and years of injustice, there is a lot of work to be done right here in Waco. And one of the reasons that we as a church focus on East Waco is because of the many, many years of injustices performed against this community. And so we, it, we, we, we focus on East Waco because it's beautiful, but because of also because of all the ways that it's been mistreated. And so why not? It's been mistreated that way by unrighteous leaders in our city. And so we as a church have focused on East Waco with our outreach programs, with our kids clubs and book clubs, and we support nonprofits and leaders in this part of the community. Amen. So you want to jump in, we'll give you some ways to jump in. But you also may find yourself in other arenas 
where you see injustices and unrighteousness in your fields. And so we know this, this is going to be spanning all over Waco. All right, this is everywhere, whether you're in the medical field doing justice, whether you're in, in the legal field doing justice, educational justice, ecological justice, like nonprofit world is just full of justice, right? What happens is when you, when, you, when you get a taste of this, your appetite grows and you want to see it in all these other areas. And you want to say, I want to become just a little bit less hypocritical. Because you can't say, I'm claiming justice in this realm and, and, and abuse it in this realm. But we all do. And so we're all trying to come just a little bit less hypocritical in this way. I'm going, all right, teach me, Lord. Grow me. Show me all the different areas that I want to grow in. And you, you actually want this. You actually grow and long for this in all the other areas. It's not in competition with one another. We want to see it. We want to see that shalom take over. Amen? Right? And so I want us to see this. When you start participating in justice in this way, God starts placing his crown on you. God places his crown on you to be a mini king and a mini queen in this world. And so Jesus will rule through you and I. And you may never fully understand that positive impact of your righteousness in your field, in your realm, in your friend group, in your business. But God works through it. God works powerfully through you. God works powerfully through all that work you put in, whether it's your church, your friend group, your any realm. God works through that character and that righteousness, and it spills over because God works powerfully through leaders here. And so I want us to go back to that checkers analogy that we began with, where Jordan sinfully is bragging about kinging me. So let me talk about me kinging him here for a second. <laughs> no, at that moment, when you say king me, what are you saying at that moment? You are now telling your opponent, think about this, you are now telling your opponent to pick up that which they took from you. Mm. To pick up that which they took from you and to give it back. And not just give it back, but now it's even more powerful. And they flip the checker, and on the other side of the checker is that little crown, right? You are now kinged, and you say, king me. And when you get that, I mean, we are not king. Jesus is king and Lord of this world, right? He is, he is Lord of my life, but he is now working through me and you. And so maybe the devil or someone has taken your joy, has taken your peace, has taken your happiness, has taken something from you. But in Jesus, we get it back. And we come back. The enemy has to give it back. And we now rule with Jesus alongside of him. Kinged. And in, in the game of chess, remember we said, oh, then you can, can boastfully go, game over. Game over. And you're, you're, you're now hopping all the enemies, right? Because of Jesus, when we look, we turn our eyes to King Jesus and we say, you are the king. I am, I'm solely focused on you. Now we walk around as kings and queens in this world. We walk around knowing we have that authority. We have something won for us. We have this superpower. And yeah, you don't want to talk trash to your enemies. <laughs> you want to win them over and love them. But you cannot lose. 
You cannot lose because we've been kinged. And that's what it's like to point our eyes to the true king. It is game over. The devil, the world, others may shoot their arrows, but I've been kinged. I've been given back more than I could have ever hoped for. I've been given back more, and so we cannot lose. We cannot lose. We cannot lose. So are there some enemies that you're stressing over? Are there some things in life that are stressing you out, that are, making, that are prompting you to want to turn to Egypt, that are prompting you to want to sell your most valuable possessions, that are prompting you to think through all the sinful ways we can, we can respond to that? See Jesus as your true king. Trust in him. And let me end with another line from Crown Him with many crowns. It says, Crown Him the Lord of life who triumphed over the grave and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. May Jesus be your shelter and your refuge as you act with mercy and justice. Let me pray for us.